When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a post-holiday fumble, having difficult housemates, family members who comment on other people's bodies, and being loud in the library. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about travel tipping dilemmas. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on introductions and titles from Emily Post Etiquette 1922. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey. Hi, cuz. Hey. Hey, before we get started, <laughs> oh, yeah. since we're haying, <laughs> yeah. I have to ask our audience a question. Oh, yeah? Who saw Lizzie on the Today Show? <laughs> I did. I'm so glad. You watched. I was impressed. Thank you. You did a phenomenal job. Thank you. And I want to ask our audience how they thought you did, but I, know I can't, can't because we can't hear <laughs> right now. But I still want people to let us know how they thought you did. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun doing it. It had been a little while since we'd been on the Today Show. But one of the anchors who was interviewing for the segment we just did, I was uh, one of his very first interviews when he was guest hosting years and years ago, and we talked about pool etiquette. So you two came up together? And so it was just really fun. Yeah, it was just really fun to get interviewed by him again after he'd really, you know, been a, been a longtime anchor there now. So it was really fun. Tell me more. Tell me about Rockefeller Center <laughs> at the holidays. It was all beautiful. Everything was really crowded, but people were getting ready for New Year's, which was really fun. Um, I flew back home to Vermont, so I spent New Year's back in Vermont. But it was very festive still. You know, everything was still very festive, and New York festive is really special, so that was great. But the show was a lot of fun. I was very grateful for the opportunity. Really glad to see some shout-outs from the Awesome Etiquette crowd on social media. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Well, I was thinking about you as I was watching it, and I was also remembering sort of the arc of history in terms of your appearances on the Today Show. And I was remembering way back when, when you and I were both getting started in these jobs, and we used to prepare for national media with sort of bulleted talking points. We had our talking points for each topic that we were going to be covering, and it was a... Oh, yeah, we had those for this. <laughs> I'm sure you did. It, it felt like a less structured affair. As I was watching you talk oh. with the people on the Today Show, I was thinking to myself, this sounds like a podcast conversation, and totally. I was delighting in that. Yeah, no, it really did. I think also having it be set, you know, we were all sitting around their their desk, and so I think having it be set like that as opposed to, you know, like interview style and like, you know, 
know, couches and chairs or something like that. There had that kind of dinner table feel to it where that conversation was there and happening. And um, I think in many ways, you and I try to cultivate that here on the show. So it was nice. It felt like very familiar territory to be in. Well, it came across to me sitting in my living room <laughs> with Anisha in Very my lap, podcasty. calling to Pooja. Pooja, come see, come see. Lizzie's on the Today Show. It was oh, a lot you. of fun. Congratulations. Thank you. I, re- I really I appreciate it. <laughs> I very much so like getting your call afterwards. <laughs> I was talking to my mother about it. Mm-hmm. And of course, it takes her back. She's remembering the time she got to do this. And <laughs> it is fun to go down, particularly over the holidays, because yeah. there is this whole sort of festive nature to the whole scene where it's filmed. Yeah. And you get to sort of be a part of that in a, a way that's that's a real treat. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad it went well. Thank you so much. And I am glad to be back and kicking off a new year with the podcast. As always, we're excited to be here. We are not, not stopping this train anytime soon. Um, awesome etiquette will be here for years to come. But it's, uh, it's exciting. Just even before we started recording uh, today, we were talking about things that we're going to change, things that we're going to do. Um, and it's fun to have this kind of living, breathing conversation about etiquette that we have with our audience and with each other. And it's one of the things I'm really grateful for and really looking forward to. So let's Let's get to some questions. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. And sustaining members, put sustaining members somewhere in your message. We'll answer your questions on the sustaining member site now at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette where you can access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. 
Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question of the day is titled post-holiday fumble. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm hoping you can help me through this post-holiday dilemma. Just over six months ago, my brother and his wife separated. It took my family by surprise, and though we were hopeful that they would reconnect before the end of the year, that was not the case. My brother and I are not very close, and though I like his wife very much, they've been together over 10 years, we are also not very close. When my brother arrived home for the holidays at my parents, he came with thoughtful handmade gifts that his wife had made for my parents and I. My mom and I were so touched but instantly felt so guilty as we had not gotten a gift for her. My mother had gotten her address from my brother and sent her a holiday card, but that was all. Should we have sent gifts too? We do know that my brother and she are in contact, so it would have been possible. Should we send something now? I did not have her address, but sent her a text on Christmas thanking her for the gift. I feel like a terrible sister-in-law. I know my mother is feeling similarly as we are trying to navigate our relationship with our sister-slash-daughter-in-law. Please help. Post-holiday fumble. Oh, I know. This one, like, breaks your heart. Well, and it's not an uncommon post-holiday question and a great one for this show. Uh, Yeah, I would say that our listener is in good company. A A lot of people have trouble navigating this. Well, and I want to start with a really simple etiquette answer. Just in regards to the gift exchange, we've said it on this show before, and I'm sure we will say it again. Just because someone gives you a gift doesn't mean that you have to have a gift ready for them in that moment. And this thing happens and people feel badly about it in all kinds of situations, strip away all the other family dynamics. And from an etiquette perspective, what you're responsible for in those moments is to thank the person for the gift. Thank them genuinely, warmly, sincerely, appreciate it. Don't let your own guilt about not having a gift to give back or to exchange trip you up and prevent you from meeting your etiquette minimums of of receiving that gift well. So there's been no real damage here from the the core etiquette question (laughs) that this question is built on. But But then there's the family dynamics questions. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's where you get this feeling of guilt and like there was a misstep from is because this was clearly someone who, although we weren't close to her and hearing that, at the same time, she was family for over 10 years. And, you know, it's sad and it's hard. And I can understand where that feeling of, oh, gosh, I think I did misstep here um, is coming from. I think that, you know, using the thank you as a way to reach out is really important. I think the text message you sent was good, but I would also go the extra step of writing that handwritten thank you note and sending it along. You're still, I mean, you know, we're, we're not even through January. You're still totally in like ideal time to write that note, get it out the door. That actually would help. And the other thing that you can do is you can always send her a gift mm-hmm. and you can write in the note, your handmade thoughtful gift was so wonderful and it just... I didn't know what to do in the given the circumstances, and your generosity really inspired me to to not shy away from being generous. And so, I think that that might be the way that you could turn it around. And if I receive something like that, I do not think that my first thought is going to be like, "Ugh, 
So you wouldn't have gotten me anything if Playing I didn't do it. Playing catch up, like, are mm, you? Mm-hmm. You know, or smugly, like, yeah, I'm the nice one out of the two of us. Like, I don't think those are going to be the first thoughts. I think she's going to think, wow, I'm I'm really glad. Like, you know, I'm glad that my reaching out made my sister-in-law want to reach out to. So if you're feeling genuinely inspired, go for it. The other thing that sometimes makes me feel better in these moments is I make a plan for myself. Sometimes there is no immediate reparative action you can take. True. Sometimes an offense is frankly small enough that to revisit it starts to make it worse or aggravate it. Sometimes moving on is the thing that you're responsible for, holding that bad feeling yourself and not passing it back. Is her birthday in February? Go with getting a gift in February. Just move forward, but but then be inclusive, right? That's right? what I make okay. my plan. Yeah. And <laughs> it can feel like excuse making if you don't follow through. Yeah. But as long as you follow through on that plan, I think thinking about that future action, how you're going to correct this, how you're going to be better going forward can be so helpful. And families don't end with divorce. People can stay part of your family, and if this is a relationship that you want to continue or honor, however feels right to you, that is a reasonable and appropriate thing to think about and to take action on. Post-holiday fumble, we... Dan wants me to say, post-holiday fumble, we hope this helps you make the catch. Yes. (laughs) Did I get it right? You did. (laughs) Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our next question is titled, Having Housemates is Hard. It sure is. (laughs) Dear Dan and Lizzie, for about four months now, I've been living in a shared house with 13 other college students. Whoa, 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 whoa. 13? This now totally makes sense. Whatever comes next, it's going to make sense. I hope it's a big house. (laughs) During these four months, as expected, we had small problems, like a housemate leaving the dirty dishes in the sink and clogging the sink, or someone leaving the stove dirty after using it. And when anything happens, it gets talked about in the house group chat, usually by the same two housemates. I try not to complain and try my best not to upset anyone. But recently I've come to feel unwelcome in my own home, as one of those two chatty housemates is constantly sending messages to the group chat about every small thing. If someone rushed to class in the morning and he wakes up to a mug and a plate in the sink, he sends pictures and complains about it. If someone is talking in their own room at night, he complains about that. If someone invites friends over with notice and he can hear them whisper, he complains about that. He'll also complain if he hears noises like the washing machine or the water running from the sink coming from the kitchen at night, even though his bedroom is the furthest from the kitchen. I always try not to upset anyone and to make things right but I started to feel unwelcome and as if I have to figure out all the ways to change my routine and lifestyle so he doesn't get annoyed. To sum up, I don't feel at home. I've talked to my friends who live with me and they feel the same way. One of them even thought about sending an email to the landlord about it as she believes many of us will be moving out for not feeling welcome at their own home. 
I want to find a way to not go that route, as I believe it might be too radical. I've tried talking, that is, in the group chat, saying we should be more flexible and that it isn't worthy to take pictures and make others feel unwelcome every single time something happens, as we all know our responsibilities. But all he answered was, it is worthy. I don't know if I did wrong in sending it in the group chat, as I tried not to make it personal to him, but I don't know what else to do. Hoping you can help me figure out a way for us all to feel welcome and comfortable in our home. With love, Liv. Liv. Oh, that's tough. This also sounds to me like um, I can't quite tell if it's a group like I'm, I'm we are in a college town. So I'm often then picturing college living situations when you hear 13 people in one house. But this actually sounds more like it's people who rent a room in a house, but the whole house is shared because talking to the landlord about who's leaving. It sounds like things actually go through a landlord as opposed to a large group of friends who decided to live together. At the same time, it sounds like some of these folks are friendly. So I'm not entirely sure the dynamic of how everyone ended up at this house and who chooses the rules for the house. And I think that might be a really good place to start with this is what is this living situation that we are in? And if the group chat is the way that you're set up to communicate, then maybe sending your thoughts and and, uh, feelings through the group chat is the appropriate manner to go through. The other thing might be that is the landlord someone who you are supposed to turn to if issues with other tenants aren't going well? It might be that kind of a setup. So it's a little hard to know exactly what my first plan of attack would be. Um, But so I I come back to then assess where I live and what are the rules and boundaries of the place I'm choosing to live in. I really like your focus on who's the authority. And if it is a real group situation where these 13 people are all on the same lease, it's not the landlord. It's about figuring out the interpersonal dynamics within the house. I think asking the same question is still just as important. How do these decisions get made? Does everyone sit down together and agree and then that's what it's going to be? Are there people who are responsible for keeping track of certain things? And if that isn't defined or outlined, that might be a great avenue to take to figure out what the consensus rules are that are going to work for everyone so that you can make decisions like, do I want to live here or don't I want to live here? Do I want to live here with these people but maybe not those people or vice versa? And it could feel like a radical step, but that's also where a lot of your control comes from is your ability and willingness to make those decisions. And having some clarity, having some understanding can really help make that feel more like a choice and less like a reaction to a situation. The other thing that I think is really important to do is to look at yourself. And are you behaving within, you know, the quote unquote rules of the house? And have you all been instructed to not leave dishes and not let time be an excuse? Have you been instructed to, you know, not have visitors over after a certain hour or something like that? I don't think so. It sounds like people are checking in about the visitors and this particular tenant is just being really fussy about it. But I think that it is, Dan says it all the time, anytime you point a finger at someone, there's usually three pointing back at you. They're your own three, by the way. Um, For those who are worried, a lot of people get the imagery of you point at someone and like three other people come and attack you. But really, it's those three fingers on your own hand pointing back at you that remind you, you know, what am I doing Are there ways I could be behaving better if I tightened up, if I made sure that I leave that extra five minutes to wash that dish or to throw out that food? Or put it in my bedside table drawer. Right. 
bad idea. Whatever but. it is, you know what it. But whatever it is, it's. I think it's always good to just double check that. And it sounds like you've got other people who are upset about this. This isn't just you. It seems like this is starting to happen on a level that feels harassment. That also means that the person who's doing all that harassing is feeling like things are ramping up to a level. And I think that's worth recognizing, too. I'm not saying they're right for their behavior in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, it's... And, and the loudness thing, I still don't buy. But the dishes and stuff like that, I think those are those are things that if they aren't being kept in line and you've got this many people and it's happening so frequently, I could see roommates getting frustrated, housemates getting frustrated with that and kind of going over the top, so... Always a good idea to just, you know, check in. <laughs> I love the self-reflection. I also love the idea of listening. Yeah. That someone might be constantly sending you little notes that are not structured in a way that makes it easy to hear what they're saying. So and true. I hear my cousin making a real effort to hear what's being said on the other side of this bad communication. And looking past that mistake to the root cause is another way that you can maybe address the issue directly and in a way that resolves it. And ultimately, that's what you're looking for. Yeah. You're looking to feel comfortable in your own home. My Final parting thought. piece of advice <laughs> is something that my mother did used to tell me. She used to say, let it be like water off a duck's back. If you've done your work, if you are being a reasonable and a good housemate, and there is someone who's constantly sniping at you, let it be like water off a duck's back. Let it roll off you. Try not to let it become something that impacts you in a negative way. That's giving them entirely too much control. And the more you can do to take control of your own responses and reactions, you're going to feel better in the end. So I know it's not an easy task, but that's the the other piece of advice that I think is important when you're dealing with a complicated situation like this and your exit strategy isn't apparent or obvious. Liv, best of luck with this housing situation. We hope that it either improves or you move into an awesome space of your own. There are many ways you, too, can do little things for other children at school if you just watch for the chance. Doing what you can to help others is an important part of being a good citizen. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is titled Body Commentary. Dear friends, my mother-in-law comments about people's bodies, and she doesn't seem to understand that she creates discomfort, awkwardness, and hurt feelings. Comments she has made range from my pregnant daughter's weight and shape, compared her to a road construction barrel, to my mother's swollen ankles at a Christmas dinner gathering, and my mother simply had thick ankles, to the purple under my eyes. Yesterday, I told her that she must be unaware of how unnecessary, poorly timed, and hurtful these comments are. She protested these observations are not meant to hurt. Rather, they are out of concern. This conversation did not go well. She has two obese adult children. I pointed out that my family has never, ever commented on their body types. I suggest that when she has the urge to voice concern about someone's body, to think about how that might feel if her comment was directed at her children. 
That did not go over well. For financial reasons, her poor planning, my mother-in-law lives with my husband and me, so avoiding her is out of the question. Generally, I get along with her, but I can no longer tolerate her body comments. Moving forward, when she does make an ill-timed, unnecessary comment, what would be the best way to respond? Sincerely, Tara. Tara, one of the most difficult etiquette questions that we receive is how do I respond to someone else's rudeness when that rudeness is a real thing? And the reason that it's hard to give is that it's not satisfying to me and I'm guessing that it's often not satisfying to hear for the person who's asked the question in the first place. And that's that it's oftentimes difficult to do anything. It's really hard to correct someone else's behavior. And the options that you have in front of you that are good from an etiquette perspective oftentimes require a lot of you. Well, and in this case, the options that we all know are my favorites to go to, which are things like, okay, so you make decisions about how integrated this person is into your life. You know, you make choices that give you boundaries you can set. You take back some agency, some control for yourself. And those are all those great therapy things I've learned over years that I'm just so happy that they are such good advice for so many people. And it doesn't work when this person lives with you. This is tough. This is really tough. This is close quarters. This is close relationships. It's a generational difference, too. We're talking about just, you know, anyone who's in that parent level versus a kid level. And we're talking about a mother-in-law here. And so that's there's. You know, there's so many different senses going on here of perspective and things. The offense, the infraction is really personal. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's, I mean, to, to speak to the basic etiquette at the core of this question, it's really rude to comment on other people's appearance, particularly if those comments are negative or could be perceived as negative in any way. And in fact, it's so easy to make the mistake and offer a comment that is interpreted in a way that's different than you mean it, that we caution people to be really careful commenting on other people's appearances, whether it's positive or negative. And here's the kicker, right, is that parents have spent their whole lives looking at their children to look for things that are wrong, to look for signs that something isn't right. And so you have a mother who's saying things like, boy, you look really tired or I'm concerned that it comes from such a normal place. The question is, what filter are we putting on it, both as the mom saying these things and as the people who receive or overhear them, too? Because it's not always just the people who it's being said about or said to. It's also the people around who hear it and get uncomfortable. I, I think you know it that, that this conversation that didn't go well was a conversation that didn't go well. That I think – I don't know what the mother the mother-in-law said in the conversation, but I think that probably how this was delivered didn't come across in a way that the mother-in-law was able to receive. And that just put, puts more tension into it, which is frustrating and difficult. I think something that we have to acknowledge here is that when you bring up someone's – children and say, no one's ever brought up your children about this before, that that is bringing up their children. It is. It is and doing the thing. That you've done exactly <laughs> the thing that you were saying doesn't happen. Right. And we just have to be realistic about the fact that that occurred and acknowledge that there were mistakes that happened on both sides of this conversation when it occurred. That doesn't mean 
that you can't talk about it. It doesn't mean that in the future you can't address it if this behavior continues because it is really inappropriate for your mother-in-law to be saying things that make you feel uncomfortable in your own home and make other people who you've invited feel uncomfortable in your home. So how do you have that conversation well? How do you hopefully give it a chance for happening better the next time? A couple of tips, a couple of things that you might want to keep in mind. Definitely do it in private. Do it when your mother-in-law can hear you and when she doesn't feel attacked or called out in front of other people. Get yourself organized ahead of time, both intellectually and emotionally, mm -hmm. so that you can really self-regulate. The, the difficult task is to maintain the high road, to hold yourself accountable to every standard that you would want someone else held accountable to if they were going to bring up something really difficult with you. Don't assume that any of your good intentions are understood. Make them explicit. Yeah. Tell your mother-in-law that you care about her, that you care about your relationship, that you care about the two your of you. living situation. Being able to live well yeah. together today and moving forward. Don't look for immediate fixes. Don't look for the conversation itself to be the solution. Don't even necessarily look for agreement from the other party in the moment. One of my favorite things to tell people outside the show is that when Lizzie Post and I have these conversations, <laughs> she's told me, tell me and wait 24 hours. And I might hear you at some point in that next 24 hours. <laughs> I do do that. I'm like, you can keep saying this, but I might not hear you till Wednesday. <laughs> and that's a good thing to know and to be prepared for. Someone might never say, I heard you. Yeah. I understand. I think that what I did before was not perfect They're and I'm going to make it better. They're not to say that ever. But. but they might stop bringing it up because yeah. it's uncomfortable to be called out on it, yeah. it, it particularly if they're called out well and it makes right. them feel not good about what they've done for real reasons. When it comes to calling out well, one of the things that I think didn't work well for you was to identify all the ways in which these comments are wrong. And I know that sounds a little counterintuitive because you are supposed to stand up for yourself and identify all the ways in which these comments are wrong. But I think when you do it in a way, and we're just going off what we have in this email, but where we say, I told her she must be unaware of how unnecessary, poorly timed and hurtful her comments are. Those are uh, your perspectives of, of what she's doing and how it is affecting you. And her perspective is what she fired back with, which is, I'm taking concern. I care about you. You know, I I'm among my family. I shouldn't have to filter myself every second. Okay, that one's debatable. But it's, it is important to recognize that when you say, this is wrong, you're bad at this, you're doing this incorrectly, that the other person can very easily just deny your perspective on it and say, no, I'm doing it my way, you're wrong. You know what I mean? But if you say, when you say these things, I feel, she can't deny that. That becomes a conversation to listen to. And I think that's an important difference in the way that you approach this. And I know we learn when you I feel in kindergarten, but it is such a great tactic. You know, when I hear you make these comments about other people, I, I get uncomfortable. Or when I hear this happening, when I hear you make these comments, I'm actually hurt by them. And I don't think you realize that because I think you're coming from a place of trying to be concerned about each of us. But 
for me, the tired eyes, I'm, you know, embarrassed about that, or it's not something I want people commenting on, or my weight isn't something I want people commenting on, or for me, my single status or my no children status is not something I want to talk about this holiday. And I think that gives you more agency than when you start things with you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that. Tara, this is a long answer and kind of a tough answer because you asked a really good and important question. What do I do moving forward? (laughs) We really hope that this helps have those conversations in a way that's more productive in the future. Unfortunately, that's not true with gossips. They use words just as carelessly as the parrot, but sometimes we take them seriously, and often innocent persons are harmed. You see, gossips don't stop to think that words are dangerous. They influence our national life, and in war, they are powerful weapons. Our next question is titled, Loud in the Library. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for your podcast. I have been listening, believe it or not, since middle school, and I am now a freshman in college. Wow! It's been so much fun to grow and experience new life events alongside you guys. Thanks for being open and sharing about your lives. I've been thinking about you two ever since a moment that set me reeling. I just finished my first semester's finals. Hooray! Congratulations! And one day I was studying in a blissfully quiet room of the library. There were about half a dozen of us all working there diligently, and we'd been churning out our writing in almost perfect silence for about two hours. Cue two friends who walk in and start talking loudly to each other. Instead of settling down, they FaceTime another friend and proceed to talk on the phone for about 20 minutes. I found this completely distracting and inconsiderate, especially during finals. And I got the impression that others in the room shared the opinion. In fact, almost all of us ended up leaving. Is there a way to politely and kindly ask people not to talk in the library? We weren't near any administration, and to be fair, we were on one of the lower levels of the library where talking is more allowable. But we were in a side room, not the main floor, and like I said, we were all pretty much silent when they walked in. I ultimately left, moving to a different area of the library, but I felt really bothered that my work-slash-peaceful space had been interrupted. How can I navigate these situations in the future with consideration, respect, and honesty? I appreciate your thoughtful advice. Happy holidays. Yours. Oh, that's such a bummer of a situation, you know. <laughs> this reminds me of just my flight on the 31st where I, the lady diagonally behind me was sitting with her child and she was opening pumpkin seeds for her kids. So she was, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish we had the sound effect to make the noise, but it was like, crunch, 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 crunch you know, click, 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 click. And then she'd hand it to her kid who would eat the seed out of it. And that was going on for like, 30 minutes and I had to have a conversation with myself and myself to tell myself to chill out and this is like a one-off incident <laughs> like and yes I looked over my shoulder I was a say, did you oh look I back? did I did I did I so stupidly did I looked over because I was trying to figure it out but then I looked over like once or twice more just like out of pure annoyance but I tried not to have like a super annoyed look more curiosity look on my face but it was a one-off. It's like it's it wasn't like they were having a loud, inappropriate conversation where you could really feel like you were justified in saying, "I'm sorry. Do you mind quieting down, or just maybe saving it for a different time?" You know what I mean? It was definitely not something I felt comfortable speaking of, but it was annoying. This is a situation where I think you're 
I, I like that at the end, Shush tells us that there's, you know, this is a lower level. It's, you know, we start to see the balancing of do I speak up, do I not? Well, we're on a lower level of the library. We're talking more loud, but we're in a smaller room. It was silent when these people walked in. I think you would have been fine interrupting and saying, I'm sorry, do you mind taking that elsewhere just till the call is over or something like that? I think that I just think you would have been fine in the library finals setting. I had a similar thought. At first, I was sort of imagining a multi-tiered approach. And the first tier is exactly what you just described, the the power of a look. <laughs> and we, we don't ever advise that you go around sort of staring people just down so or know, giving side eye. Dan's side eye look is scathing. <laughs> there are levels. There are levels to the side eye. And, and, and as you discovered on the plane, there's the, the I'm sort of curious, I'm looking, yeah. and maybe and by looking, I'm going to alert you to the fact that what you're doing might draw someone's attention. That might be enough to bring your awareness right. to it. There's the gaze that has that hint of disapproval, yeah. the, the the little reminder quality to it. That was it. I just saw it from <laughs> Lizzie Post. And then you have the severe, stern, disapproving, I'm really bothered and I'm letting you know I'm the disapproving of what you're doing. And it's subtle, but that's real communication. Yeah. And that is part of the interactions that are at your disposal and are really effective. And I don't always mind it if someone gives me a look that reminds me, oh, I'm on my phone here. There's a lot of other people. I'm talking kind of loudly. So I do think there are ways to deliver that that aren't rude in and of themselves. It is a library. I do think if someone's behavior is rising to the level where it's really disrupting the people that are there, kind of defining the space by their presence, that it is okay to say something. And I'm reminded of Cindy Senning's example for children about a beach. And it's not rude to play volleyball. It's not rude to have a picnic, but it's rude to come set up your picnic in the middle of a volleyball game. It's rude to come set up a volleyball game over someone else's picnic. There is a little bit of a first come, first serve. We're defining this space that you acknowledge as the newcomer in a situation. And kind of bringing someone up to speed on the expectation (laughs) in that room is reasonable. By the way, the way not to do that is to say, I'm sorry, just so that you know, in case you weren't aware, this whole space was quiet till you walked in with your FaceTime call. Not the way to go. But, hey, do you mind taking that call elsewhere just since this happens to be a quiet room? Not, Not too unreasonable. Or do you mind keeping the volume down a little bit? There you go. Using headphones. Those are all things to ask. It's not out of the realm of possibility that a FaceTime call was to someone else in a study group or something. So there's, You never know. You, you approach with a little awareness, a little bit of uh, expectation that they're going to hear you well. I was going to say generosity. And you're likely to get a better response. Oh, sorry. Didn't realize. Was, we were looking for a room to do this. Yeah. We'll find sure, somewhere else. no problem. Else. Yeah. Or they just bring the volume down by half and that's enough. Shh. We hope that this answer helps and that you have awesome scores on your finals. We know there are times and places to be quiet and other times and places when we can make noise if we want to. For example, when we play, we make all the noise we want. But when we go to the library, we are very quiet because we know it's a room where we read to ourselves. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. And on Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. 
Just remember, use the hashtag AwesomeEtiquette in your post so that we know you want your question, comment, or feedback on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Michaela. Hello, Awesome Etiquette. I have some feedback on the postscript from episode 263 about tipping. You briefly mentioned that some companies do not permit employees to tip, but offered no alternative for that situation. If an employee can't accept tips, you can instead provide feedback on their service. My husband used to work for a large chain retailer, and his performance evaluation, and ultimately his pay, was based partly on the number of positive customer satisfaction surveys where he was personally named. So even if you can't tip, there's still a way to show your gratitude. Oh, Michaela, I really like that. Thank you for sharing that and, and reminding us to include that advice. We've often said that that it is a good way to show people, especially when you can't leave a tip. This happens especially uh, in larger like retail uh, chain stores where an employee's done a really great job, whether this is you know a Best Buy type store or something like that. We've had so many people say, I want to tip someone. I want to tip someone in a circumstance where I can't tip them. So what can I do? Leaving feedback is really key. Never underestimate the power of your words. Sometimes you can't give that gift. You don't have the gift card. But thanking someone, showing your appreciation, and in this case, finding the right person to hear that, whether it's a manager or a supervisor or whether it's uh, a customer feedback form that's going to get into the hands of someone who's making decisions or deciding pay, is a really, really, really nice thing to do. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about something that doesn't come up every day but is sort of fun to think about, announcing persons of rank. And this comes from the Emily Post 1922 edition of Etiquette. Right. So I am sure that some of it has changed, but this is some of the slower changing etiquette. You know, you hear Dan and I talk about how dining etiquette is some of the slowest to evolve and change over the years, whereas communication etiquette often goes quickly. And even just greetings, how we, the words we choose to, to greet one another changes, you know, pretty much every generation. Um, but I think that this is something that's a, a little bit more kind of on the stately side of, of Emily Post advice. So this can be found on page 214 of the 1922 edition. Announcing persons of rank. All men of high executive rank are not alone announced first, but take precedence of their wives in entering the room. The President of the United States is announced simply... The President and Mrs. Harding. His title needs no qualifying appendage since he and he solely is the President. He enters first and alone, of course, and then Mrs. Harding follows. The same form precisely is used for the Vice President and Mrs. Coolidge. A governor is sometimes in courtesy called Excellency, but the correct announcement would be the governor of New Jersey and Mrs. Edwards. He enters the room and Mrs. Edwards follows. The mayor and Mrs. Thompson observe the same etiquette. Or, in a city other than his own, he would be announced the mayor of Chicago and Mrs. Thompson. 
Other announcements are the Chief Justice and Mrs. Taft, the Secretary of State and Mrs. Hughes, Senator and Mrs. Washington. But in this case, the latter enters the room first because his office is not executive. According to diplomatic etiquette, an ambassador and his wife should be announced. Their Excellencies, the ambassador and ambassadress of Great Britain. The ambassador enters the room first. A minister plenipotentiary is announced. The minister of Sweden. He enters a moment later, and Mrs. Organ follows. But a first secretary and his wife are announced if they have a title of their own. Count and Countess European, or Mister and Missus American, the President, the Vice President, the Governor of a State, the Mayor of a City, the Ambassador of a Foreign Power—in other words, all executives—take precedence over their wives and enter rooms and vehicles first. But senators, representatives, secretaries of legations, and all other officials who are not executive allow their wives to precede them, just as they would if they were private individuals. Foreigners who have hereditary titles are announced by them: the Duke and Duchess of Overthere. Sorry, that just cracks me up when she writes that of Overthere. <laughs> the Marquis and Marchioness. Of Lands End. <laughs> Sorry, that's even funnier given the company now. <laughs> Sorry, or Sir Edward and Lady Blank, etc. Titles are invariably translated into English: Count and Countess Lorraine, not, and I will now mangle the French, Monsieur le Comte et Madame la Comtesse Lorraine. I mean, if you could follow that, please. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm American. Sometimes <laughs> keeping track of all those titles. This is for Americans. I even. know. <laughs> and thank you, Debretts, for doing the hard work and the heavy lifting of really keeping track of royal hierarchies and aristocratic convention for Great Britain and the continent. For sure. But here, Emily was talking a lot about senators and mayors and governors and representatives and the president and the vice president, and who out of these people are supposed to stand, walk first, be introduced first to whom, in what way? <laughs> I learned something from her prioritization of executive office. Oh yeah, that clearly that distinction to the office is something that starts to remove some of the social. Conventions and expectations,、right. and that helps inform decision making in an increasingly casual and informal world. And when we're asked to make these choices, I think in a kind of fluid way, are we talking about an executive situation where the occasion is really about honoring that position? You start to have some latitude in terms of really prioritizing that person. I like it because it does get me thinking about etiquette that we don't think about daily, which is, you know, what when people do have titles, what is their verbal versus their written title? What does it look like,、uh, you know, when it's spoken versus when it arrives in the mail to them? And that's always sort of a, a fun little bit. Like I noticed that it wasn't and first lady so and so, you know, in the example that was given.、Um, so I'm I'm curious about that. A wondering if the title came later in in the decades because. Because remember, what we're reading is from 1922. This is not necessarily the exact correct title for today's standards. I think we want to remember that. I would have to go check the differences to see exactly what they were. 
But I think it is really interesting to hear how the announcements would go. As we're thinking about the 20th edition of Emily Post Etiquette, I'm looking forward to having a couple of examples where chief executives are women. I like that idea. We like to end our show on a high note, and for that, we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. Today, we hear from Carrie. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. Thank you so much for your show. I absolutely love it. My name is Carrie, and I'm from California, and I want to give an etiquette salute to my friend Dina. Last week was my birthday, and she texted me to wish me happy birthday. And also in the text asked if she could take me to dinner the next week. And the salute is just all about how hard it is sometimes to have courtesy, respect, and honesty in a text. And we did the perfect guest host dance. I said, what day are you available next week? And she gave me two days and I told her, okay, this day might work. I got a check and then got back to her. And then where would you like to meet? She said, pick anything. I said, give me three choices. And so it was just this perfect back and forth of offering and receiving and offering. So, Dina, thank you so much. You're a wonderful friend. And and thank you, Dan and Lizzie, for teaching me all about courtesy, respect, and honesty. Have a great day, you guys. Carrie, this might be the best way to start off salutes for the Awesome Etiquette podcast for 2020 because this is just so that moment of relief where planning and coordination and the host guest dance go well and it feels good and you're like, oh, this whole social thing, it works. It really works. This is so nice when it works. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You are encouraging me to reach out and make plans with people. Thank you, Carrie. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with friends, family, and coworkers. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette, as well as the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette or visiting awesomeetiquette on emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It does help the show rankings to spread more awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.